0: going on Jermaine Johnson tune in to turn on the Jets podcast hey this is Vinny Pasquantino of the Kansas City Royals make sure you tune into the turn on the Jets podcast
1: Everybody. welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host Will Parkinson at WillPar11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Another episode. I think I'm. I think we're approaching the episodes in the 200s or 300s at this point of uh, of times I've been hosting this podcast, and um, I can't believe I'm saying how excited I am for a one and three Jets team to visit a one and three Broncos team. A normal, and you know, in spirit of Bill Simmons, a normal poopfecta game actually has a lot of meaning, and uh, it's probably one of those games that coming off a loss going to play a team when you're one and three should not feel this exciting, but um, it in fact does. Brad Spielberg is always uh, hops on with me a busy day in the NFL. Brad, how are we doing today? Yeah, doing great. Yeah. Like you said, a couple of transactions coming down
0: the wire and uh, I weirdly am excited for this game uh, as well.
1: Yeah. It's a, it's a game that uh, I think going into the year, it's, you know, the Jets and Broncos do have a lot of similarities and a lot of things that happened last year with the Broncos, really good defense, had a lot of things they thought were in place. They get the big name quarterback, Obviously there's, there's other differences that have happened. Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson's seasons were very different and Nate Hackett is now the Jets OC, not Sean Payton, Mr. Walmart money himself, uh, you know, in Denver. I, I do want to talk about the Jets chiefs game a little bit and kind of wrap this up. Uh, you know, I feel like I was, I was more frustrated because I felt like the Jets won't get away on Sunday. And I, I know the in the officials and I'm going to ask you about it quickly, but my take just for, you know, kind of recapping when I said, I, I think that the biggest issue wasn't necessarily the actual call itself. It's the timing of when the flag came out. felt very, oh, Mahomes threw a pick. And Mahomes' excuse that he threw the ball up was was certainly a, was a funny one from Patrick. I, he gets to get away with it because he's amazing, but uh, that's a total bullshit answer. But more importantly, is the fact that they let them play all night. And there was a bunch of other missed calls that egregiously led to, led to a Massive Chiefs touchdown on third down. The Jermaine Johnson call early in the game. I'm not even touching the holding call on, on the last drive. The Jets still could have gotten off the field. And the Jets still should have caught a touchdown in the end zone. Garrett Wilson and Zach Wilson should have connected on that one that was open. You know, they didn't get three points in two separate drives. They should have. mostly dropping intercept. Like, the Jets left the game, you know, they played really well. And they competed with the champs. They've now been incredible against Allen and Mahomes, which they play them better than I've seen anybody play, you know, either guy. You know, that's not just me saying it. The stats back it up. All that to be said, what'd you make of Sunday? Because, yes, there was the Zach positive stuff. But again, like, I still feel like they let one get away, uh, even more so than they did, you know, the week before against New England.
0: Yeah, I mean, it would have been a massive confidence boost to have that performance from Zach in a win against the Kansas City Chiefs I'm sure he'll still take a lot of good from it as he should uh, but you know it really, really when you don't have the win when that fumble you said so many edge cases but he obviously probably a good thing takes credit takes all the blame for the fumble you know on the snap late in the game which again another thing they could have maybe not done but he, he was pretty darn good otherwise and yeah that, that is a bottom 10 graded game for Patrick Mahomes who've ever had uh, Yeah, I mean again any stat you look at he, he was struggling all night he really didn't even seem confident and comfortable I mean throwing a lot of turf missiles and like just off with his velocity off with his touch um and I think it was because he was you know under a barrage of pressure at times uh and and also just you know you look at a lot of the coverage snaps in all 22 and guys were just blanketed I mean the secondary was really just not letting anyone create separation against them um I mean Quincy Williams was awesome CJ Mosley you said had the dropped interception but played well limiting stuff over the middle yeah, it was a tough one. They really could have won that game, and and that would have been, um, like you said. I mean, you, you basically if you can do that to Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, and then Zach Wilson can start to play some quarterback, it, optimism would be at an all time high. Uh, after it may have been an all
1: time low, you know, a week ago. <laughs> it's almost like me and you picked the Jets to win the division for a good reason. Um, you know, before obviously Rodgers got hurt. I do want to touch on this offensive line quickly. I talked a lot about it. The grades hadn't come out yet. You know, I hadn't gotten a full chance to watch the All-22. I went back and watched it, obviously. Joe Titman and ABT together has been as good of a partnership as we've seen from a right guard and right tackle the last two weeks. Like, they're really good, and they're both under 24 years old. And, you know, both guys can play multiple positions and the whole thing. Lincoln Tomlinson has uh, not so subtly been way better the last two weeks, probably two of his better weeks he's had as a Jet. And I don't think that is and not a consequence that because he's playing next to Macai Becton, who's kind of, they kind of like this, guy, this whole line playing together multiple weeks. And there's a lot of high ceiling guys on this offensive line. And the fact that they're getting weeks together is, is actually pretty impressive. I still think center is a huge weak spot for them. Um, it just seems like when bad plays happen, it always is the same guy that's kind of scrambling to go get his guy, uh, pick his guy up off of the running back or the quarterback, but uh, what do you make of this offensive line? I know, again, I don't want to touch too much on Zach because it's a lot of, like, it was one week. We got to see it again. He did play well in structure, but it had a lot to do with the fact that the O-line, Zach felt comfortable back there, and you could tell um, he was hitting his three, five, and seven-step drops, planning, and the ball's out.
0: This is going to be fascinating because I, I don't think you can take Joe Titman off the field when Dwayne Brown does come back. So do you move him to center? And then I think the, the annoying thing there is – Do you not want a rookie center with Zach Wilson? Is he dealing with enough already? Yes. McGovern has not been very good, but you know, pre-snap and calling out protections and things like that. You'd have to imagine he probably is a benefit, um, you know, to a degree in that area. So, uh, and then if you don't move Tipman to center, okay. Does just Beckton come out of the lineup because you're not taking ABT off the field, obviously. So would it then be Dwayne Brown, left tackle, ABT right tackle, Tipman, right guard. I don't really see how you do that either. So, Maybe he should start taking snaps under center uh, and, and figuring that out because I, I just don't see how you take and off the field.
1: Yeah, I, I'm actually a proponent of just not changing anything. Um, if especially if they have a nice week this week and they play well against Philly, because that's the real test, right? Like this week, this is the first time they have an advantageous matchup going into like they should be able to run block and pass block. And if they don't, and if they do a good job, and you do well enough against Philly, who's one of the best fronts in the league, and we'll talk about that next week when we get there, but how do you change that? Cause that'll be four weeks in a row against three really good fronts where you start to look really competent and impressive. And again, the whole problem with the jet so line, and this is one side topic before we get to looking forward to Denver was it wasn't necessarily the talent they invested in. It was a lot of guys though, that felt like they can play a lot of positions, but can they play one really well was a one issue. And then two is either guys that were on the older side of their career or injury prone, right? Like that was kind of the issue with, you know, you look at a uh, Dwayne Brown, the way Brown's got a border, not that he's a Hall of Famer, but he's a whole very good player, right, for his career, multiple yeah. time, all pro and durable and all that stuff. And his body eventually might have broken down, and it did last year and then this year. Um Mekhi Becton, whose ceiling is a top five left tackle, but we hadn't seen him play in two and a half years, three years. Um, that's a kind of where it came back, is Lincoln, Lincoln Tomlinson's been very up and down his whole career. And, like, you were kind of recounting on the good. So that's kind of where I think the frustration was. It wasn't the investment in the O-line. It was who they invested in. Um, but, again, as you said, like, this group should still be – pretty, even if they're a league average group the rest of the year, and if Zach Wilson's the 23rd best quarterback in football and not the 39th, like, they could still make the playoffs based on, you know, how the schedule opens up because there's a really soft window starting from Sunday all the way through the week tw- uh, 12 or 13, I believe.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it, it really was like we talked about. I mean, that's one of the weaknesses we're pointing to. And if that becomes not a strength or, I mean, uh, frankly, I think a league average offensive line is a strength. Uh, and I think a lot of teams across the league would be happy with a league average offensive line. And then, yeah, then you have depth, Um, you know, Dwayne Brown comes back say, so, okay, you're, you're our backup left tackle. I don't know about swing tackle at this point in his career, but, um, but maybe Uh, uh yeah, I probably wouldn't count on it, but uh, but yeah I, I, and it's just another you know thing to have in your holster to rely to be able to rely on in the back end if something does happen to Beckton or, or Tucker or whatever so yeah, I, I agree with you, and, and the schedule does open up, and obviously that starts this Sunday. I, I guess like you said, we want to see like a very good performance, like them winning, you know, at the line of scrimmage pretty much on every rep in this game um, to really take that step forward. But look, Kansas City's front is playing good football. George Karloftis is a better player than he was as a rookie last year. We all know Chris Jones. Like that, was, that wasn't that was like they were going up against, you know, a weak front. Uh, it, 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 Steve Spagnuolo is going to throw a lot at you, um, and, and they handled it pretty well.
1: How would you, how would you grade Nate Hackett's performance Sunday, and how good does he have to be again Sunday for the Jets to kind of take care of business? Because I'm not sure. Other than a couple of times where I felt like got a little cute not running the football, um, I know Zach was doing well, so it was kind of hard to go away from it. And they were down early, but again, I thought like they opened up some really nice holes on the right side, as we talked about every single week. Uh, they always run well to the right side. I felt like he was pretty damn good. He got quite literally every single person that all of Jets Twitter's been clamoring for involved. Xavier Gibson is involved. McCall Hardman played a little bit, although he didn't get the ball and, and whatever. But, you know, it was Brees Hall got more carries than Dalvin Cook. And Jeremy Rucker played. And they threw the ball to Conklin. And Garrett Wilson got a 1,000 targets. Like, it's kind of hard to have anything bad, really, to say about, you know, Hackett's game plan. Even the drives that they didn't have score on, like, they didn't. They weren't really three and out other than the first two drives of the game.
0: Yeah, I think the big thing was, and it goes back to faith in Zach or just letting Zach play, Um, you know, we obviously talked about not really letting him run on offense, low average at the target. The other big thing was, like, every throw was outside the numbers because they're just afraid to let him throw over the middle. In this game, he did. Like you said, the tight ends were involved. Um, He had a couple other targets, you know, on deep posts or, um, you know, just attacking the middle of the football field. And I think they're really that was part of his you know, training wheels was them just not letting him do that. Of course, it's more turnover prone. It is potentially going to lead to some disaster, but you have to do it, right? You can't just attack outside the numbers and just throw a bunch of out routes and and comebackers. So, yeah, I thought Hackett looked look good. Like you said, I mean, Garrett Wilson had about two steps of separation, could have had a walk-in touchdown on the, down the right sideline earlier on in the game. Like, it, it was a good game plan.
1: Yeah, in terms of kind of looking forward to this week, Robert Sala always says, you know, we don't listen to bulletin board material. We don't care what the outside. No, that's coach speak. I love Sala. I'm a huge solid defender. I know he has to say that stuff because you don't want to be a team that's cliche on every single week having to find something right. But like he clearly heard it. The first, the first breach he makes in hard knocks, he's talking about how everybody else is getting hype and there's all these haters. So you clearly hear something um, more importantly, it was a huge storyline. You don't ever, ever, ever see head coaches attack other coaches good fraternity that's why the rodney harrison thing which i want to touch on quickly in a second was such a crazy like former player is supposed to be like have those you know have that fraternity's back and um, again whether you agree with it or not it just doesn't happen and sean payton's comments felt kind of out of line they felt incredibly personal towards nate hackett for whatever reason and frankly they almost look worse under sean payton than they did under nate hackett all things considered and that team you know, was supposed to be this amazing team, whatever. What do you, ma- what you make of those comments at the time and how much you think the Jets are, are talking about that and using that this week? Like, I feel like it's a real thing. Like you said, it's not that people don't think this way, but you just
0: don't say it publicly. It's just not the nature of how this is treated by... And obviously, Peyton's been around for a very, very long time. Yes, he's a fiery guy. He has... Um, Some quotes here and there, but I think attacking another coach and then you come in and start. 0 and three yourself. So, and, and get 70 points hung on you. And I know he coaches the offense and the offense does look better, but, uh, but yeah, just, just a bizarre comment. And, and like you said, look, they're going to downplay it. And I think some weeks we probably make more about revenge games than others. Like this was different. I, I mean, this was. Kind of an unprecedented situation. You're on the hard knocks. So everyone's talking about it. Like, you know, it's a big thing. I'm not saying it's going to swing the outcome of this game. But look, like I think players probably do like Hackett. I know he's quirky. I know he's weird. I mean, you get know, a guy like Billy Turner, who, you know, knew him before, goes to Denver, and then still comes back to the Jets and talks about, you know, it's not fair. Was he perfect? No. Were there some guys in that locker room that probably didn't like him? Sure. But, but I think he is a guy that has been well-liked at every stop. And I think there is going to be a little bit of extra motivation in this game.
1: Yeah, I think if anything, you kind of say Hackett's almost too much of a player's coach in a sense. Like, honestly, yeah. if anything, that's his like, again, it's not Rex Ryan. I'm just saying sometimes Rex's biggest downfall was he almost trusted his guys too much and things like that. You know, sometimes with Hackett, it's like being stubborn because he loves Randall Cobb so much or or loves Elizabeth, whatever it is. You know what I mean, like those are the things where, if anything, those guys like. The biggest, the biggest thing for for NFL teams, you come off a prime time game like that. It's a tough loss. There's usually a lot of either like you're fired up the next week, or there's like that that big drop off of like it's not the same juice, right? It's like a, a little bit of a different game. It's an easy letdown. You're going on the road. I think that kind of makes up for that potential letdown factor. Is you know I asked I have asked players in the locker room this week, and they're like, we want to win this game for Hackett because we want to win it for ourselves and we want to get rolling here. But like, there's a little extra juice of like. Fuck this team, dude. Like they came out our guy, and there was no reason to do that. And we can we can feel a way about him. You don't get to like to say that stuff publicly. I want to ask you quickly about the Rodney Harrison thing because of course now we're getting the pushback and, and Salah, again was very political about his answer. And Rodney's Rodney's a good man. And Rodney Harrison got busted for roids and was the dirtiest player in the NFL for almost a decade. So I'm not sure like how much we want to we wanna go, we want to go good guy. He was like voted the dirtiest player in the NFL year over year over year um again all that said he's he has done a good job on tv for a long time I felt like that shot was so out of bounds and it's I can't we I came on the show last week I crushed Zach's play on the field I've never come at Zach personally I don't think anyone's come at Zach as a a person that felt like baiting to get a click and I felt like that was very personal call him garbage multiple times he sucks he's not special like Dude, I don't just, I don't know what, what was the point of that, especially after a good game? Like, you can rip rip on a guy if he plays bad. Zach played really well on Sunday. There was no need to do that. It was
0: bizarre for me to double down to where, like, credit to Chris Jones, where he didn't take the bait in any way, shape, or form. And, and like, look, he maybe, I guess, could have if he wanted to. I know the Willie Gay quote going around, he obviously tried not to say anything, but, you know, him laughing and saying, "I it looks like a team that wants to run the football, like, that probably was some borderline, you know, know, bulletin board material as well. But that was the bizarre thing to me is Chris Jones literally had a perfect answer. Like, his PR people probably were smiling in their office. And then Rodney Harrison goes back to the well, like, two or three more times, and then like you said, like you still probably shouldn't do it as aggressive as he did, but if he was 10 of 30 for 80 yards and four interceptions, like, okay, maybe we'd be like, all right, or being sensitive, whatever. He just hadn't made the best game of his career. Um, uh, you know, a near victory against his team. It was, it was the strangest thing. I, I get that the people don't like him, That you know, whatever he's bad. You make fun of him. I just, it's bizarre when it crosses over. Like clearly there's like a personal edge to it. And it like, He's probably not a bad guy. Yeah, he's bad at playing quarterback in the NFL. So are a lot of people. Um,
1: You know, it, it's, it was it was bizarre. Yeah, I just – I didn't like the – it just felt like the double and tripling down. And, like, I saw some people in, in New York sports, you know, radio locally, be like, oh, all the fans are mad at someone else for calling Zach trash. Well, they're fans. And fans are, are going to be irrational one way or another. And especially in New York, they're going to tell you the best thing ever or they're going to tell you you suck. Like, that happens when you're nationally – you know, a national media member that's on TV, it's you have a different responsibility. I'm sorry, you just do. Um, so that that's kind of where that comes from. I know I mentioned a little bit in the officials. I know there are bad calls everywhere. Like, what do you make of kind of this league-wide trend, I guess, of where this, you know, the officials feel like they're just way too much in all these different games. And again, all, all things considered, I know the rules are really tough to officiate. These guys are faster than they've ever been. The game's moving a million miles an hour. All that said, it's still your job, and you're still there's no repercussion ever for these refs when they blow when they blow calls. Whereas players doing stuff, coaches, whatever, they can't wait to find these guys and do all this stuff. Um, Robert saw had a really good quote this week, and, and I'm curious your thoughts on it. He said, We can only coach guys on what really not to do, right? Like, we can't tell, you know, we can't get mad at the call, but if we know the way they're going to call a game, we can kind of figure out how we want to get away with it. He said, If a, an umpire has a strike zone for eight innings, you adjust to it he's like in the bottom of the ninth inning and they can't start calling the, the strike zone totally different is that kind of how you felt on Sunday because again I'm not blaming the loss on the refs but they did play a huge factor in multiple possessions of points and major it's the biggest moment of the game and it's like why are you involved why are we still talking on Wednesday about the refs
0: I think that's the I mean for any officiating of any sport where it comes back to like and you do it as a kid even you you, you realize it, let's say football example like all right this guy's calling a lot of DPI so like you know, don't be grabby uh, if you're a corner. Okay, this is a game where you have to, like, not be as grabby. Because, look, as, as Gardner said, like, I'm doing this on every snap. Like, when, you, you know, and, of course, we talk about holding all the time. Like, there's probably, you could probably call holding on 50% of snaps as well if you're going to be coming into the game, all right, I'm going to call out a lot of holding. I'm going to call out a lot of defensive pass interference. And that's a consistent theme throughout the entire night. Then you can't complain, right? As a fan, you say, look, it's annoying. It's a ref show. I don't really get why they're trying, you know, in, in prime time to impress Taylor Swift or whatever they're doing. And also they were, they were off on Monday night too. the first half of the giant Seahawks game. There was a flag on every single play. So, and and several of them were bad calls in both directions. So, that is the big thing is like, just be consistent. And you know, I do think in the first half that particularly the first jet scoring drive, obviously the, the horse collar was kind of a close call, but I, I mean, again, I, I could see it being called, you know, cause it was borderline. Um, it, But it, it, like you said, it was just like the ebbs and flows of the game and the ebbs and flows of when they chose to make their appearance felt were so annoying and off and, and, and game altering in a way that was just not necessary I, I do. I don't love the you know, like. Sometimes you get in the conversation, look at the Super Bowl with James Bradbury again. Uh, you know, against Judas schuster Like, oh, you can't call that in that moment. Look, like you. you I, I get the argument. I totally do.
1: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
0: The soft one, like you said though, the flag coming out super, super, super late. It felt Was like a p-
1: guy, it felt like LeBron goes up for a layup ending game situation and they wait to see if he misses or makes it to call a foul. That's what it felt like. I hear you.
0: I hear you right. The the ball falls incomplete, you know, that type of stuff. Like, Does does it potentially change the situation there? Yeah, look, it's fair. It was not a well-officiated game. Like I said, I do think there were a couple that went the Jets' way too, but obviously there were plenty that did not go in their favor.
1: I just found it comical that the Chiefs and Trey Smith both posted a video of the Pacheco touchdown run and highlighted him. Great pancake block on the smallest player in the Jets' roster, Jordan Whitehead. Right behind him is Jamie and Sherwood getting Kurt Angle ankle locked uh and t- you know, t- taken for a ride, and it was like probably wouldn't have posted that. Um, I'm sure today the NFL always comes out on Wednesdays with their missed calls. We'll see a few. Um, yeah, the horse collar live. I understand it probably was a board, like i right. don't call it, but live, like it really looked like you're dragging your running back behind, you know, down like that, whatever. Um you obviously diehard Bears fan, you watched this Broncos team last week, and obviously whatever happened happened in the second half of that game. I'm more I'm more curious. You've now seen them live, obviously. What not live, whatever. Like you got to see them in a full over a full game and like coming off a historically bad loss. Justin Fields only in completion the first half, who is not an accurate passer, was uh was whatever, a spiker, whatever, like a fake helmet, yep. whatever, the helmet at the end. How bad is this Broncos defense? Like, is it just Miami abused them or are they just truly awful? No, they're horrendous. They they are horrendous, horrendous. It's the it's probably the worst pass rush in the NFL.
0: Obviously they they weigh or they cut Randy Gregory today. So not that he's been incredible, but he actually did have three pressures in, in this Bears game. Um but yeah, their bottom five person pressure rate, bottom five in pass rush win rate. I think coming into that game they were dead last in both of those and and, and did okay. But but like you said, I mean Justin Fields had a flawless first half. He had uh, eight completions on throws, 10-plus yards downfield. He'd had seven such throws the entire season to that point. Um, he threw three touchdown passes. He had three touchdown passes the whole season, and he had 231 passing yards. He had not had a game with with 230 passing yards at all. Uh, he did it in the first half. I mean, this is a horrific, horrific defense. They have our – DeMar Mathis is our lowest-graded corner in the entire NFL – and, like, we talk about grades and stuff. Look, it, it, is the difference between the 95th and 98th maybe correct? Maybe not. Directionally, they're pretty accurate. Like, the guy's bad. Like, I think, you know, so, um, like, it's a it's secondary you can attack. Justin Simmons did not play in that game. I don't know about his status. But, no, it's not a fluke. It wasn't Miami.
1: This defense is horrendous. <laughs> well, I guess to follow that up then, what are your expectations from this Jets offense? Like, what do they need to do to not only – put up 20 and look the way they did like this just team went in Denver last year. And frankly, it was rolling early on. They lose ABT and Brees and they kind of held on for dear life a little bit. Zach was very bad last year against Denver in terms of operating in the pocket had that weird, like almost self-fumbled them early on in the game. There's a bunch of stuff that happened, but they got out of there and I never felt like they were going to lose that game. Obviously they, I think they moved to five and two at that point. It was like, you know, you felt, you felt really good about the rest of the year, even though they lost their two best offensive players at that time. I guess, what do they need to do on Sunday? I feel like this is a game where, like, the first drive, I'm punching Denver in the mouth 10 straight times on runs and just trying to literally – and it's not against Zach. It's nothing to do with that. But, like, running off the right side with Brees, who's now off a pitch count per Sala, I guess, um, as we're recording this, like, I would just give Brees three, four carries in a row and just be like, dude, let's just go score right now and, like, set a tone, and then you can kind of – you kind of it's hard to come back from when you get punched in the face in an NFL game it's by the run early on, it's like everything opens up.
0: Yeah, I think the one big thing I'll be monitoring here is I, I do think Wilson, a lot of his success, not a lot of his success, but you know, with Steve Spagnuolo playing a lot of man coverage, we had a lot of corners and trail technique, and I think it opened up the ability to throw a lot of back shoulder balls because obviously Zach just knew I'll put it where my receiver can get it, and the DB's not even t- turning his head around. The, the the Broncos and Vance Joseph are just going to sit in soft zone. So it's going to be a different game and Zach is going to have to approach this differently than he did, you know, against a, a heavy man coverage opponent in Kansas city. But I think the big thing here again is like getting those tertiary players involved. Like Garrett Wilson's going to get to a lot of Pat Sertan. He's been trailing receivers this year. Look, he wasn't good against DJ Moore. He's really not having a year up to his standard, but he still is Patrick Sertan. So I think you're going to need to see like, you know, a couple of big plays from your Lazards. You mentioned, you know, the younger guys, Gibson, obviously showing his speed, Michael Harvin, maybe a little bit like, but I also think a lot of that motion up front and doing a lot of things to move the pocket and not even just in the passing game, but like get ahead of steam on a lot of these runs too. Don't I ask your guys to displace just like use the, the momentum of this offense to just, cause I re- you really can uh, with a head of steam, just run it off the edge and, and off tackle against this team. Like they have nothing at edge defender, um and so i think you could just like right out of the gate spring a big one from Brees. like forget 10 runs it break a 60 yarder off with Brees uh and go from there
1: <laughs> yeah there's there's a you know you see it all the time when they run off when they run off that outside zone or they run power off the right side like titman and avt working in like a duo block up to the linebacker and then you have rucker kind of take a guy out or, or constant whoever it may be like there's going to be holes there the jets have to establish the run early on and like if you play a bad team, again, the Jets are one and three, two. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend like right now they're not considered a bad team record wise, but when you go play a bad team, the worst thing you can do is give them life early. If you get on a bad team early on, they, they will quit that. That's just, it's the reality of the NFL. Right. And um, I, if you're the Jets, like you have to send a message physically up front on both sides of the football early on. If you hit Russ early on in the game, he's cooked. Like he just is, he's played much better this year. Kind of by like advanced metrics, I still think Russ is incredibly washed. But like, if you hit Russ early on, he's going to fold. He doesn't want to run around the way he used to. He does not want to get hit. And on, on you know, on defense, the worst thing you can do is be on a bad team and have to try to tackle. We watched it with the Bears. You know, you watched with the Bears last year. Halfway through the year, it was like, oh, they're not going to tackle anybody. <laughs> like that's which is what, what happened. So what do you expect to happen on Sunday? I guess kind of we'll finish with this. Um, am I crazy to think like, it's this is a twenty seven to ten like, but it's like not a close game at all. Like that's kind of where I'm leaning.
0: I think Denver is going to score a little bit. So look, obviously a lot of their scoring has come like once they're down by a bunch of scores, but they do they have them with the ball fairly effectively. Um, you know it's a mismatch. Like I think he's, I mean you get Mike McGlinchey's top five in pressures allowed on their off right tackle. You can exploit him. You know Quinn going to get his on the interior. I, I do think the Jets are gonna win. And I do think they're gonna score above 25 points. I just think I'm seeing more of like a 2720. Um, and, and so and look, it could be a late garbage time touchdown, but but they they to their credit, we can make fun of the Broncos all day long. I'm I'm happy to do it. Um they have moved the ball decently efficiently. They have also played no no defense in the class um of the New York Jets, unless I'm forgetting someone. But yeah, Raiders, Bears, Commanders, yeah, that this defense is a massive step up in class. So hey, maybe you're right.
1: Yeah. We'll uh, we'll break it down a little bit more on Friday's episode. Um, appreciate you as always, uh, hopping on, and, and we'll talk to everybody on Friday. Make sure you guys are uh, following Brad as always, and enjoy the uh, enjoy the rest of your Wednesday.
0: Justin Fields fault I, I watched the film and then and now we look ignore my opinion we've now seen like seven different former quarterbacks like Kyle Sloter, uh, Kurt Warner uh, JT O'Sullivan obviously like he was not the problem in that game he actually threw an absolute pearl to DJ Moore. He dropped it and I think that was they were going to lose regardless but to me that was kind of the, the flipping switch of this game's going to get out of hand in a hurry once he dropped that ball so but all that said yeah I'm all the way in I, I watch Caleb Williams, Drake May, and J.J. McCarthy tape every single morning on Sunday mornings before the games kick off. I've been doing that since week two. Uh, So, yes. uh, And look, here's the thing with Fields. Even if he does figure it out somewhere, it's probably not going to be in Chicago.
1: Yeah, no, I I fully agree. I was not a big Fields person coming out. I think C.J. Stroud's hopefully changing the narrative. You know, with Ohio State quarterbacks, he's looked awesome. Turbo Jared Goff. I know people, for some reason, thought that was an insult. It's not. Look at Jared Goff's numbers. That's a Pro Bowl-level quarterback. The Texans need that if they want to D'Amico Ryans yeah. to kind of work there. Um, but, again, you know, I just – Fields doesn't see – him and Zach Wilson have a lot of the same issues. Fields is obviously in a way better – you know – runner but it's a lot of the same issues if they don't see the field well like they can't pull the trigger when they do pull the trigger it feels like they make the wrong decision so um appreciate everybody for listening again two episodes out today make sure you guys are plugged into those uh enjoy the game sunday i'll be there so i don't have to listen to the travis kelsey taylor swift nonstop jammed into my brain you know camera shots every two seconds don't get can't i don't want to get canceled by the swifties but um good for them Careful. i i Careful. just i good for them i just I'm going to, I want to watch football and enjoy football on, on Sunday. So, uh, appreciate your week of listening. Enjoy the rest of the week. Love all what we're set on Friday. Uh, take care and uh, talk to you guys soon.